Welcome to The Marketing Commute, a podcast that explores the roads taken and lessons learned for the best and brightest in marketing today. I'm Mike Boyd and joining me on The Commute this time are Andrew Baxter, Senior Advisor at KPMG Australia. Hi Mike. And Professor Vince Mitchell, Professor of Marketing at the University of Sydney Business School. Hi Mike. In this episode of The Marketing Commute, we sit down with Jeff Hoffman. Jeff is the Global Chief Revenue Officer and CEO of North America for AdStream. During his career, he's been involved in all kinds of transformations in the ad tech space, and we're very much looking forward to speaking with him today. All right, let's get on the road. So what's caught our eye this week? Well, for me, it's the pace of the mergers and acquisitions in the ad tech space is really speeding up. And this week, uh, Roku announced that it had bought an independent uh, demand-side ad platform, DataZoo, for $150 million US. So, you know, th- these are big times in terms of uh, what's coming together in that ad tech space. Yeah, it's evolving at a cracking pace. I've noticed something that Salesforce has in, invested in, which I think is really important around the, the world of email, which is still, you know, arguably hasn't changed in 20 years, but email is still a very, very successful platform. But Salesforce is adding a whole heap more AI, transactional capabilities, a whole new suite of ways to make email far more than just an electronic form of direct mail. And I think these interactive capabilities and the personalization and customization will actually give you know email a, a second lease on life, so to speak, and, and just go from strength to strength. And for me, uh, I was interested in American Express Ventures, yeah, who've invested in Avoca AI, which is an Israeli startup. And, and the interesting thing that they're doing is rather than using AI for chatbots, using text, they're using voice recognition software. So it's your voice on voice, which from a, a consumer point of view is just a amazingly convenient uh, and also they're trying to train it with all the different accents and, and, and pitch and, and changes in, in that you get with all the voice you so uh, get a good look on them for um, you know, trying to make you know, the world you know, a more easily voice recognized interactive space yeah, it's a it's a I've heard a few companies in that voice and AI from a call center point of view and you know even around you know cloud storage of voice transactions and voice conversations it's a it's one that's clearly you know another one that's going to take off I also just want to pick back up on that email one I mean and there's so many great things going on in email and technology right now which we probably didn't envisage but there's a there's an Australian startup called smart videos that's uh, doing uh, effectively EDMs with AI. So I think they're doing over a million personalised emails, video emails a month for their various clients here in Australia. And I think that thing's only just going to sort of take off in the next little while too. So how's that How's that work? Is that a, based on your profile? You and I could receive the same email from company X and there could be a video in it that's for whatever reason, customised for the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. It will say, hi, Mike. Yep. We we know that you've been looking for X, Y, Z, you know, and it, it knows your preferences. So in a 30-second video, uh, it's actually um, completely tailored to you and personalised to you. And is there, presumably there's studies that say video marketing into email is obviously gives a, a, a significant uplift in engagement. Engagement, click-through, um, you know, view, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah. very strong. Yeah, it's, look, as I said, email is a one of those technologies that you know hasn't really been upended. It's arguably still the same. It arrives in our inbox, and we you know spend half our day trawling through it. But anything to make it from a sales perspective and a marketing perspective more efficient, more engaging, more accurate is got to be good. What I really like about that is that when you think about email, it's 
text-driven and people have to read. We had to learn to read, right? Yeah, and it's quite effortful, yeah, for people to have to read. And even when you're reading for pleasure, yeah, there's still an effort component. Whereas it's not effortful to sit and talk to people, right? Mm. Yeah, and have that, yeah, because it was the the foundation of original human communication. So, so that that when you put it onto video email, yeah, it's a it's it's a far easier thing for people to get that information a- across and to be able to understand it and interact with it than having to go through a page of email reading. Yeah, you went so so. I'm just loving yeah the fact that that someone is actually you're moving that text into more non-natural video form of language and to make that potential interactive which will be the next stage of mm. interacting yeah with the video through an ai yeah, kind of virtual person well we really are getting there now i've known our upcoming guest for a number of years via his previous australian-based roles at both census and adstream and of course our dual love of aussie rules football Jeff has held senior sales roles in the media advertising world as well as the ad tech space before taking on the CEO role at Adstream in Australia and more recently the same role at Adstream in the USA. He's now based in New York and we're looking forward to hearing about his journey from growing up in South Australia to now being in the Big Apple. Jeff Hoffman, welcome to the Marketing Commute. Thank you very much, Billy. I appreciate that. That was uh, probably the best bit of PR I've heard. Hey, now before we again. <laughs> exactly. Now before we uh, jump into things, just tell us a little bit about Adstream and what they do. We started back in uh, 2001, uh, long before I joined. It pretty much started out as an ad delivery business, as we may look at it. Um, so we would be in the space of uh, facilitating the delivery of advertising from brands and agencies to broadcasters and publishers, and that's how Adstream sort of set itself up um, back then. More recent times, as we may know that the the ad delivery space has become a bit of a commoditized industry on a, on a global level. Uh, we were lucky enough back in 2010 to 2011 that Adstream sort of saw the saw the future of uh, content management, and we're probably now uh, playing more in a content management space. And realistically, our our brand stands now for more being the world's leading creative logistics company. Um, and that that covers across a number of things from ad delivery to um, digital asset management uh, on a global footprint across about 140 countries globally. So that's a very high level, broad view of it. And we have products and services that sit within that, of course, anywhere from the digital asset management piece to traffic management to media automation, data analytics through services such as professional services, ad pro, broadcast, print. Um, and even through um, the Traffic Bureau. So I hope that gives a bit of a high-level view of what we do. Yeah, amazing. Great success story in terms of the company. Just in terms of you, you grew up in South Australia, you graduated with an associate diploma as a draftsman. How did you transition from that into senior sales leadership roles in the media and ad tech world? Yeah, really interesting question. It's amazing how your career can shift quickly. I was in the luxury of working at the, the back end of my TAFE course and as I, was, as I was sort of finishing that up, um, I met some people in the media world through Yellow Pages directories. And uh, they were looking for industry experts in the building segment to basically go and talk to customers and to advise customers in certain segments and the building industry being one on how advertising and media mix can work for their segment. So I, I decided I'd, I'd, I'd take that lead for a short period of time. Uh, that was back in 
1992, and here we are today. On that Yellow Pages thing and just sort of jumping in, I mean, you were there through that whole transformation from literally a book through to a digital platform. Yeah, what are some of the things you, you learned through that period of time? Would have been an incredible time to be there. Yeah, look, I was right in the, I was right in the, uh, the cut and thrust of it, I must say. I mean, I, I won't get into too many data points, but to see a print business in census that was worth north of a billion dollars in print revenues um, over a four-year period, shrink to about half of that. And we'd obviously transitioned a lot of it, but not all of it, into the digital space. It's quite a compelling space to be. Re- really, what's really interesting to the process was around consumer search, which is I'm sort of in that same space now to a certain degree, and how consumers actually search for particular products and services um, and how that behaviour changes in the marketplace. And uh, in seeing it through a customer lens and a consumer lens, the confusion in the marketplace and the fragmentation that was um, upon our customers at that point in time was really confusing for them. They didn't know where to invest. They didn't understand how to invest. We became the largest Google reseller and Facebook reseller in Australia at that point in time because clients were grappling to anything that became the shiny object. So we actually really became advisors probably more than anything else. I had a sales force of 1,300 people back when I finished up with them in 2014 and we were advisors in the market more than a sales execs or account managers because people still trying to grapple with the idea of where do I invest. So it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about where we are today and even in this space because when you think about AdStream, where ad delivery was and where digital asset management is today, it's a similar shift in different ways, especially for people in marketing and brand managers. They're trying to work out not just how do I move an ad from place A to place B, they're saying, how do I store it, manage it, control it, get the right ROI on it, show right data and analytics around it to make sure that it's proving its value. So I think it's helped me a lot to understand where we currently are today with somewhere like a a business like AdStream and the marketplace we see. Jeff, how have you, thinking about that scaling experience you had, how has that then transitioned into the way you've then scaled or helped scale AdStream from Australia to, to the US? The luxury I've had on that front is trying to understand business models uh, where you're pushing products upon uh, customers in the marketplace versus pulling customers in. And uh, with Census, we did that reasonably well in moving to a digital proposition um, in the marketplace in sort of the mid-2000s. Similar to what we've done in AdStream of recent times, we started this in Australia. and We've rolled it out um, across North America, and I'm in the process now of doing that on a global footprint. And it's about how do you engage with the marketplace? And, you know, we are definitely in a B2B space, but it's not just marketers and brand managers we're talking to it's understanding our audience sits across areas such as procurement and how do you become relative to that segment Um, and how do you identify their needs to be able to pull them in to understand and and see the need of why they need to work with AdStream so I learn a lot from census um, in what we're applying I suppose at a a global level with AdStream Uh, but you've got to take a lot of other things into uh, into mind here. I mean, working with different cultures across a across a global footprint, uh, you need to approach things a lot differently. And uh, of recent times of launching, uh, when I was running Australia, I sort of I stepped into the APAC space. I was running APAC before I left Australia, and we launched in Japan and China and 
the top of Southeast Asia. And as bizarre as it may sound, I mean, Japan uh, only today are now 40% digitally connected. They've still got 60% of their marketplace uh, being moved around in Japan via tape. So um, <laughs> each each market um, comes with its nuances. So it's really important to respect that. But I did learn a lot of those learnings um, out of my time since. So, Jeff, you have worked in Australia, APAC, and the American markets, and you were talking there about rolling out AdStream across the world. Some of those cultural differences, how have you managed from a B2B sales point of view to try and uh, overcome those? It's really interesting because every, every country has its nuance. If you walk into China, we've actually we decided to partner into China because going in there alone was going to be um, too much of a challenge. So we partnered with Shanghai Media Group that we've actually gone in there hand in hand with because it makes sense to be in there with a partner. And we've rolled out um, a frontline, a sales and marketing team there that are China-based, all hired through um, the China entity. Interesting though, in China you can go directly to broadcasters. In Japan, the Japan market's very much uh, run by the JAAA. And if you want to deliver an ad to a broadcaster, you need to actually go through um, a specific hub of technology, um, otherwise you cannot deliver. And that needs to be signed off by people like JAAA, Hakahoto Group, Densu, ADK being the three main agency groups in Japan. Uh, what we've done there is we've put an Australian into that marketplace who speaks fluent Japanese. We've partnered up with some ex-agency people there in Japan that can help us open those doors for relationships you get into Dubai, we partnered with an organisation to go into Dubai. And then if you look at the US, where I'm now based, to create some market share here, we acquired the Luxed Services Group back in 2016, which has been a key part of my role in implementing um, and integrating that partnership with Adstream. So you've got to go about it in each market in a different way. And it's really important, I think, to understand um, what those barriers of entry are around cultures before you actually step into each of these markets and and partnering with the local people in those markets is definitely key. Depends on what level, but it's definitely a key part of it. So picking up on that, um, we all need a bit of help with what we're doing. We often need a mentor to help us guide our career directions. Can I ask you who yours have been and how they have helped? Yeah, look, uh, it's an interesting question. My family, one of my family members used to run, well, he owned actually the largest um, ad agency business in Australia back in the 90s so it's a bit in the genes I suppose <laughs> but I've worked with I mean I've worked with Bruce Ackhurst who is someone that's been a, a manager of mine for a lot of years worked sort of indirectly with Sol Trujillo people like David Sodi um, people like Andrew Day senior leaders that have got insights into business and I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of the time at the table under their tutelage and been in a situation to um, be in the cut and thrust of small dynamic teams where they're part of. So it's probably been more, not just mentorship, but also in the day-to-day of working closely with people such as that. I mean, I'll come with their, their colourful characters, but uh, um, I would say that that's a broad group of people. But look, I think that, you know, it's an interesting question because I've met a number of people um, in my working career that I'm probably the best salesperson around when it comes to stealing ideas uh, <laughs> because you you do take things from everyone you learn along the way to give you good experiences and I think part of my success you know 
of where I'm at today is because you surround yourself with successful people. And uh, I've been lucky enough with some of these people around me to, to help me guide my way. So have there been any particularly challenging moments that have stood out that you've you learned from you could share? We have a lot of brands and a lot of marketers that come to us looking for a lot of support and a lot of guidance because we are sort of becoming an advisory type model in the marketplace on how to store and manage content, whether it's around brand security or whatever it may be. And I think that those challenges have been something hard for the business to adjust to quickly and to make sure that we get our people well-versed, well-skilled and focused on the client's need and what the demand is in the marketplace. And when you're dealing with brands that are at the risk of penalties in the millions of dollars due to talent rights being expired, et cetera, et cetera, you can understand the pressure that some of these people are under and organisations like us are there to support people through that. You really understand the power that you play and making sure you've got the right people and the right technology to support the industry. So I think, you know, there's some of the challenges that you see today. Um, I think overall... One of the biggest challenges I see in the marketplace is being able to attract good talent and retain good talent and make sure that you you shift the needle on talent retention. I mean, in a space that we're in today, it can be an average of two to three years before people shift. One of our key areas of focus in AdStream is how do you create a lot more staff retention to be at a point where you do become a bit of a a flight to quality product for people that they see you as an employer, sort of an employer of choice. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges all organisations go through today is how do you you keep and control the IP that you've brought in because of the importance of it. Losing people in our industry today to a competitor or even to go about, you know, they want to pursue something else in their working career can be a huge impact to a business. So um, I, I think that all organisations in this space need to really start to f- focus on what they can do to get the right talent in their business, but more importantly, how they retain it, whether it's their education programs, staff retention plans that come with a balance between you know, lifestyle and workplace. I think these are all things that are really important that people actually keep in front of mind as, uh, as they're sort of evolving um, in the marketplace because holding talent is probably one of the biggest challenges out there. From your experience, and obviously you've seen a huge amount of change in circa 20 years, what are your kind of attitudes towards innovation heading into the future? You know, the impact of AI, for example. I mean, so much of what you talked about just there around risk and around the support that you give to brands and and, and partners may well be something that can be digitised and and synthetically managed going forward. How do you think about that, those sorts of innovations and those impacts on your business into the future? Yeah, look, it's an interesting point. You do start to wonder um, how far the pendulum has swung here and has it swung too far? Um, look, we, we do dabble in the AI space. We haven't got into it in a position to promote it as yet. And the, and the reason being is because I think there's simplistic, there are simplistic things you can do around AI, but you've got to be careful in the space how far you want to play in it. And I'll give you a view, an example of that. Right now today, if a, if a client comes to us, a serious brand like someone in the in the vehicle space and one of the top four motor vehicle brands in the world will come to us and say we've got all these assets we want to tag them appropriately and we want to store them and have them on a nice library with nice shelves and we want to be able to store it and be able to easy to find it 
we used to migrate those assets, you know, video files, etc., into our platform. It would take us days, weeks to do that. We can tag that information now and do that within seconds and minutes, uh, which has been helped through um, AI learning and pattern learning, etc. That's been really helpful for us internally. But how far do you take that? You need to be really careful around the brands and how much I think that AI starts to take control of creatives to a certain degree. There's a humanistic piece here that still needs to be alive and well, and, and we're treading gently in this space, um, especially with the creative space, um, when we're dealing with creatives, et cetera, because they're saying to us how we can help them, but what we don't want to do is replace them <laughs> because, you know, they're our industry as well. So it's a really interesting space for us. But look, as my point in the beginning on this, I think the pendulum will come back a little bit in time. The market gets really hungry around new shiny objects and everyone has the buzzwords that they want to throw into the marketplace. And I'm not, to be really honest um, with this audience, every second uh, seminar or event that's going on in the US right now is about AI. And it's a bit like throwing a dart at the side of a barn. I mean, are you going to hit? Where are you going to hit? Are you focusing on the right thing here? My simplistic view of the world with our organisation right now is stick to the customer, focus on the customer's needs. AI will find its place. And so to that end, the MarTech, AdTech steamroller, if you like, that's going through the industry, is, is that going to be friend or foe as far as you're concerned? I think it's definitely a friend because we'll help brands to be able to automate and to be able to work faster and more efficient. But what I don't want it to become is a foe due to the market can't keep up with the learning of it. Um, our people can't keep up with the understanding and the learning of it. I think the last thing you want to be is in the position where you're in the market and you've got your you've got your front line of your voice or your advocate for your brand in the marketplace talking about what solution you can offer and what needs you can help with uh, the brand's problem and you lose sight of what that need is because of technology and you don't understand it well enough. And I think we've been through that in the past, um, seen a bit of that in North America with programmatic. And I've seen it a little bit as well, what's going on in the space right now of people trying to understand all this technology. How do I manage it? I mean, we've got brands today that have got external hard drives taped onto their, their MacBook Pros because they're too scared to let go of their assets. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, we deal with the studios out of the West Coast and, you know, an average studio puts out 14 to 15 maybe 18 movies a year. Netflix next year will put out 80 pieces production in one year. So when it comes to managing this content, storing this content and controlling the content, I think it's really important that we respect things like AI and we get on the journey with it, but we shouldn't overrun our headlights in the process of, uh, of managing it because uh, I think it's one of those things that a lot of people will be advertising it, a bit like the days of SEO and SEM when they were the new buzzwords. I think we just need to be a little bit careful about it. Yeah, everything old is new again, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit that way. It's exactly right. But um, look, brands and marketers need a lot of support in the marketplace and their problems are today, not what AI is going to do for them in one to three years. Yeah. A lot of what you talked about there was you know, what I'd say is relevant tech, right? I mean, it's really based on a need and, and then going and finding the tech. What, what else are you looking at in the MarTech space at the moment? What startups are catching your eye? Is there anything interesting out there? I think for AdStream, we're probably looking at it through a, through a lens of 
uh, what's relevant more so to us and how do we become part of the larger ecosystem. You know, there's there's lots of different things that are happening in the marketplace around, you know, as we touched on around things like AI. There's also ad insertion. Um, there's these type of products that are coming up, such as when you pause Netflix, you'll get an ad served up to you. There's these this type of technology that's starting to starting to come through, which is, you know, sort of bordering disruption. I, I think the biggest thing I see in the marketplace right now is the brands are continuing to take a lot more in-house, which is a little alarming. We, we are, we're partners with agencies and also brands. But, you know, if you see what's going on in the US at the moment, that's a, that's a challenging space for agencies. And uh, consolidation is alive and well in this industry, um, as we've seen with Moose from Accenture and others. When it comes down to, you know, people touch on data analytics and data and measurement and these type of these type of words. I do really think that it's really really important for a for a brand to be able to track and trace in real time how they'll be able to identify a product they can sell this morning, uh, market it by lunchtime, and have ROI by dinner time. That's where it's all heading. Some of the demands and questions we receive now are about can you track. And can you give me data on something that I'm going to disseminate in the market at nine o'clock this morning via social? And I want to be able to see what my engagement input looks like or output of engagement looks like by mid-afternoon. So efficiencies of time, speed, they're the key things that, that people are starting to look for. And, you know, we're not talking about just across one or two platforms here. We're talking about people want to press one button and deliver one asset to multiple platforms across multiple countries. And that's, you know, anywhere from linear TV to print um, to VOD to OTT, digital, whatever it may be. So that's time and efficiencies are becoming some of the key things. And I think in the marketplace, there's going to be a lot more partnering. People have gone past the days of wanting to build more. It's more about this consolidation and, and partnering of a group. But I think that the technology space is, People are looking for things faster and smarter than they were yesterday. And so is the consumer. Um, I don't think it's going to slow down any time. Just last thing, what, what does the future look like for you? Uh, look, I think I'll be here for another 12 to 18 months at a minimum to that question, Billy. And uh, Australia is always calling. I'm not sure if I can do too many winters over here. It uh, <laughs> gets, gets a bit cold for me. But uh, look, it's a great opportunity. Um, working in the Big Apple uh, has been... Uh, a bit of an eye-opener, but realistically, um, for anyone who listens to this podcast, I think you'll find that people are people and business are businesses, and um, the challenges we have in North America are the challenges that we have in Australia and elsewhere, understanding your culture. Um, but if anyone's got the skills and the commitment, they can they can do what they want to do where they want to do it. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on The Marketing Commute. It's been fantastic to hear about your journey and also AdStream's journey, which is a, which is a great success story. And uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, hey, look, I really appreciate your time as well. Good to talk to you all. Thank you very much. So my choice for The Marketing Minute is to look at five key elements of problem-centric selling. It's an article by Keenan on the Sloan Management Year Review. Salesforce found that 57% of sales representatives expect to miss yearly quotas. The question is why? So the article argues that one key reason is that they fail this test, which is to have the manager look over a salesperson's notes about prospects 
and get the salesperson to identify who the sales prospect is, having read back the salesperson's notes. When you do this, often salespeople can't identify who yet the person is, and it argues that this is because they lack asking the clients the right questions to get the right information to drive sales. So the article suggests moving from determining what prospects need and recommend a solution to an alternative approach, which is problem-centric selling. They say that this is because needs and wants don't necessarily solve the core problem. So they give an example of, in the early days of PDA, you're out of power, this guy went into the store and says, I need a charger. The salesman says, well, did the device run out of power because when you put it in the briefcase, the buttons got pressed, therefore wasting battery? Yes, was the answer. So he thought he needed a charger, but actually what he needed was a case to protect from the buttons being pressed. So there are a couple of key aspects to problem-centric selling managers should focus on in sales teams. Number one, no key facts about the customer that go beyond basic names inside the company and industry and include descriptions of the environment in which the buyer works, the processes they use and their current goals. Number two, understand the real problem that the buyer faces. Don't just go by what they think their problems are. Number three, help identify the root causes and dig deep to find out what's behind the problems and offer ideas about possible causes. Number four, try and measure the impact of those problems and how they affect their business, their team, their own work in terms of productivity, revenue and other important metrics. And this is important because problem consequence measurement helps the buyer understand the benefit they'll get from addressing this root cause. And finally, employ empathy by asking how the problem makes the customer feel thus cultivating an emotional connection that can help build empathy and trust. Gentlemen, what do you think of those five ideas? I think one thing it highlights for me is the power of asking the right questions. You know, as marketers, we tend to be inherently curious, but asking great questions is actually a real real skill. And, and it was something I didn't understand the power of until I started sitting on boards about 10 years ago because boards can't tell people what to do. They've got to ask questions to, to get the response. So I think a lot of this plays out uh, around that. I, I think you're right, Billy, but I also think it's 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 this the challenge to this because as, as, as Vince was talking and I was thinking, you know, who are the companies that do this really, really well? And it's very few because I think the majority of organisations, when it, when it, particularly when it comes to selling, whether it be, you know, selling for the first time or selling, you know, for a repeat business, there are all these assumptions often made. You know, we, we, we talk about it in the, the purchasing of motor cars or whatever it is where it might be that you've come in, you've, you've bought this particular model, but then you come in and you buy another one. If there's a conversation to be had that actually then explores what your needs are, then it's a better outcome for everybody. I also think that the first point you made about 57% of um, sales reps missing their quotas, I think that opens up a whole nother question about whether they're stretch targets or, or whether they're unattainable targets. I think there's a whole nother, another piece involved in that because I think we, we, we try and push our people to, to sell really well, often without the tools you've gone through there, the five key points. But, but often, yeah, there's this blurred line between unobtainable and stretch. Some of these things require a, a level of, uh, of existing trust and good relationship yet with your client in the first place to begin to explore even just the time it takes you to do that. 
And, and, and a lot of your client, your, your salespeople's relationships, they just don't get that time to, to employ these. But but I guess when you do have these yeah, in your toolkit, yeah, to then begin to, to, to deepen that conversation, I particularly like as well this idea of measuring the impact of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so getting yeah, somebody to think through not only what the root cause may be, but also yeah, what the impact of that yeah, is, and then linking that back to benefits. I think that's a powerful yeah, little connection to make. Well, that's it for this episode of The Marketing Commute. Thanks to our guest, Jeff Hoffman from AdStream, to uh, Professor Vince Mitchell from the University of Sydney, to Andrew Baxter from KPMG, and to our producers, Boyd Britton and Madison Lunds to the studios here at the University of Sydney Business School and finally to KPMG's customer brand and marketing advisory team. The podcast can be found on all good podcast networks such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify and you can find The Marketing Commute on all the socials. I'm Mike Boyd, thanks for listening and we'll see you at the next stop on The Marketing Commute. You have reached your destination.